Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. I hope you'll give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including special guest Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We continue our discussion about the differences between liberal and conservative judges in the way they understand and apply the Constitution. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is November the 22nd, and on this day in 1963, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States, was assassinated while driving through Dallas, Texas in an open-top convertible. First Lady Jacqueline Kennedy rarely accompanied her husband on political outings, but she was beside him, along with Texas Governor John Connolly and his wife, for a 10-mile motorcade through the streets of downtown Dallas on November the 22nd. Sitting in a Lincoln convertible, the Kennedys and Connollys waved at the large and enthusiastic crowds gathered along the parade route as their vehicle passed the Texas School Book Depository Building. At 12.30 p.m., Lee Harvey Oswald allegedly fired three shots from the sixth floor, fatally wounding President Kennedy and seriously injuring Governor Connolly. Kennedy was pronounced dead uh, 30 minutes later at the Dallas Parkland Hospital. He was uh, 46 years of age. Vice President Lyndon Johnson, who was three cars behind the president in the motorcade, was sworn in as the 36th president of the United States at 2.39 p.m. He took the presidential oath of office aboard Air Force One as it sat on the runway at Dallas uh, Love Field Airport. The swearing-in was witnessed by some 30 people, including Jacqueline Kennedy, who was still wearing clothes stained by her husband's blood. Seven minutes later, the presidential jet took off for Washington, D.C., the next day, November the 23rd, President Johnson issued his first proclamation declaring November the 25th to be a day of national mourning for the slain president. On that Monday, hundreds of thousands of people lined the streets of Washington, D.C. to watch a horse-drawn caisson bearing Kennedy's body from uh, uh, Capitol Rotunda to St. Matthew's Catholic Cathedral for a requiem mass. The sole procession then continued on to Arlington National Cemetery, where leaders of the 99 nations gathered for the state funeral. Kennedy was buried with full military honors on a slope between Arlington House, where the eternal flame was lit by his widow for, to forever mark his grave. Lee Harvey Oswald, born in New Orleans in 1939, joined the U.S. Marines in 1956. He was discharged in 1959 and nine days later left for the Soviet Union, where he tried to unsuccessfully become a citizen. He worked in Minsk and married a Soviet woman, and in 1962 was allowed to return to the United States with his wife and infant daughter. In early 1963, he bought a 38 revolver and a rifle with a telescopic uh, sight on, by mail order. On April the 10th in Dallas, he shot and missed former U.S. Army General Edwin Walker, a figure known for his extreme right-wing views. <clears throat> Later that month, Oswald went to uh, New Orleans and found a branch of the Fair Play for Cuba Committee, a, a pro-Castro organization. In September 1963, he went to Mexico City, where investigators allege he attempted to secure a visa to travel to Cuba or return to the USSR. In October, he returned to Dallas and took a job as the Texas School Book Depository Building. 
Less than an hour after Kennedy was shot, Oswald killed a policeman who questioned him on the street near his rooming house in Dallas. Thirty minutes later, Oswald was arrested in the movie theater by police responding to a report of a suspect. He was formally arraigned on November the 23rd for the murders of President Kennedy and Officer J.D. Tippett. On November the 24th, Oswald Bob was brought to the basement of the Dallas Police Headquarters on his way to a more secure county jail. A crowd of police and press were, with live television cameras rolling gathered to witness his departure. As Oswald came into the room, Jack Ruby emerged from the crowd and fatally wounded him with a single shot from a concealed thirty-eight revolver. Ruby was immediately detained, claimed that his rage at Kennedy's murder was the motive for his action. Some called him a hero, but he was nonetheless charged with first-degree murder. Kennedy's presidency witnessed initiatives like raising the minimum wage, establishing the Peace Corps, and advancing civil rights, eventually catalyzing the Civil Rights Act under Linda Baines Johnson. He also navigated the Cuban Missile Crisis. That was a scary time. Uh, beyond political milestones, Kennedy advocated for African decolonization and condemned apartheid, prompting the U.S. UN arms embargo of South Africa until 1998. Uh, the uh, presidency was uh, uh, labeled Camelot because there was so much promise and enthusiasm under his presidency. So interesting. Well, was uh, President John F. Kennedy killed by a lone gunman? Well, there's another shooter on a grassy knoll. Questions still go unanswered, but some doctors present that day in the emergency room are now talking about it. New evidence presented in a recent documentary challenges the official narrative surrounding the assassination of former uh, uh, President Kennedy. Uh, interviews conducted with several doctors present in the emergency room reveal their serious doubts about the lone gunman theory put forth by the Federal Warren Commission. Contrary to the commission's findings, these doctors propose an alternative version of events. They suggest that multiple shots were fired, contradicting the theory that Lee Harvey Oswald acted alone from the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Depository. According to the doctors, one bullet struck Kennedy from behind, entering his upper back and exiting near his larynx, while another bullet entered the right side of his head and exited through the forehead. Furthermore, these medical professions Professionals dispute the commission's claim that Kennedy was already deceased upon arriving at Parkland Hospital. According to the doctor's first-hand accounts, the former president was still breathing when he was admitted into the hospital and pronounced dead approximately 30 minutes later. It's a pretty important fact. These revelations call into question the long-held official account of President Kennedy's assassination and warrant further investigation to the events of that fateful day in Dallas. And, of course, furthermore, Robert F. Kennedy, uh, who's the nephew of the deceased uh, president is conducting uh, launching a petition demanding the release of all remaining classified files dealing with the assassination of his uncle, the late President John F. Kennedy, ahead of his 60th anniversary of his death. The uh, independent presidential candidate said Monday that he's launching the petition 60 years after John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas on November the 22nd, 63. The petition already appears to have more than 20,000 signatures online. The 1990 new President Kennedy Records Assassination Act mandated mandated all records relating to the uh, assassination of John F. Kennedy in Dallas be released by 2017, six years ago. Trump refused to do it. Biden refused to do it. Kennedy asked, why is it so embarrassing that they're afraid to show the American uh, public 60 years later? 
the Kennedy's campaign press release about the petition, uh, petition states, trust in government is at an all-time low. Releasing the full unredacted historical records will help to restore the trust. In spirit of transparency and in the spirit of democracy, we, the undersigned, call for the President Biden to obey the 1992 Act and release the Kennedy assassination documents to the public. Kennedy also honored his leg- uncle's legacy money by stating that everybody who was alive at the time can remember where they were when they found out about John F. Kennedy's assassination. I'll never forget, I was in my civics class. Uh, Mr. Abel was our civics teacher. He was in a wheelchair, and he cried uh, when he heard the news. We all were shocked. My promise to the American people is that I will put us back on the road to peace that JFK led us toward then, and when, shortly before his death, he issued a national security order to withdraw American advisors from Vietnam. We will instead take a path toward peace and prosperity for our country, he said. And, of course, he's right. We need to know the whole story. It may clear the CIA of suspicions. You know, I think we all have heard stories that uh, the CIA was involved. Nevertheless, uh, transparency is the medicine that will cure uh, all these doubts that we have about uh, what happened. John F. Kennedy and Camelot. Uh, Well, uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu won the approval of his cabinet early Wednesday for a deal that would exchange prisoners in Israel for hostages in Gaza. In a televised address Tuesday night, Netanyahu had assured his nation that the war against Hamas will go on either way. Tonight we stand before a difficult decision, but it's the right decision, said Netanyahu. All security organizations support it fully, he said of the proposal. Israeli officials have the tentative deal calls for Hamas to release 50 women and children, while about 150 Palestinian women and teenagers are being held in Israel. Israeli prisoners would be freed. The New York Times reports uh, Hamas took about 240 hostages in October in the October 7th attack on Israel. The cabinet debated the exchange proposal on an early Wednesday. The fighting would be stopped for several days until the terms. Netanyahu told his ministers that the break was only tactical and that the offensive against Hamas in Gaza would resume. We are at war and we will continue to be at war, he said. We will continue until we achieve our goals. The exchange probably would take place uh, before Thursday to allow for judicial review in Israel. Not all details of the agreement have been formally released to the public, but an Israeli government official briefly reported uh, earlier uh, Tuesday that the deal is expected to see the release of 50 living Israeli citizens. I understand this group also includes three American citizens as well. Mostly women and children in groups of 12 to 13 per day. The deal may extend for each 10 additional hostages released by the terrorist group. So that's the update on Israel, and there will be a pause. Uh, surveillance will continue, and uh, so will the war of, uh, uh, against uh, Hamas. But uh, this is a welcome development to see hostages released, for sure. Well, stocks ticked down Tuesday after investors poured over every morsel of the Fed's me- meeting minutes, finding the, that officials intend to keep the monetary policy, quote-unquote, restrictive, which kind of translates to no interest rate cuts. Uh, <clears throat> that ended five-day uh, win streak for the S&P 500 and NASDAQ. Existing U.S. home sales fell to a 13-year low in October, down 4.1% from September and 14.6% <coughs> excuse me, please, 
from a year ago. Median house price of $391,800 is up 3.4% from a year ago. Average national gas prices of $3.31 per gallon are down 10% year over year. So that's good news as well. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning uh, company. I hope you give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambos says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Remind us about the, the Cato Institute and your mission and what you do. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C. 
and devoted to defending private property, free markets, securing individual rights, and limited government, cato.org on the web. Thank you, Bob. So we've been talking about the difference between liberal and conservative judges and the way they understand and apply the Constitution. Well, when it comes to uh, uh, appointments to the Supreme Court and other judges, what judicial philosophy should we be looking for in a justice? Or, put it a little differently, what are the various theories of constitutional interpretation and what, what is correct? Well, the two most prominent theories are textualism, which is favored by the conservatives, and the living constitution, favored by the liberals. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, the media consistently misinform the public about the conservative uh, philosophy, you'll hear over and over again that conservatives believe in original intent. And strictly speaking, that's not textualism. Uh, Scalia was, and Thomas currently is, a textualist. They rely less on the original intent of the framers and more on the original meaning uh, of the text. A judge should, they argue, attach primary importance to the words that are actually in the Constitution. Scalia put it this way. He said it's the law that governs and not the intent of the lawgiver. So textualists interpret the Constitution in accordance with its meaning when the underlying provisions were originally ratified, not the meaning that's derived from a modern reading of the text. But original meaning is not synonymous with original intent. Mm-hmm. You know, meaning focuses on the words of the text, and intent focuses on the values and the objectives of the drafters and the ratifiers. The, the problem with applying original intent is that we don't know which drafters or ratifiers are authoritative. How, how do we reconcile the differing views among them? And without good records of the Constitutional Convention, how could we even determine mm-hmm. what their intent is? So reliance on the words is the uh, prevailing uh, conservative doctrine. Well, so uh, conservatives, are they say, are strict constructionists. Is that the same as textualism? No. Uh, Scalia, again, I think explained the difference. He said, I'm not a strict constructionist. No one ought to be. A text should not be construed strictly. It should not be construed leniently. It should be construed reasonably to contain all that it fairly means. So, so you know, if you wanted to interpret a constitution like ours written in, in 1789, what you would want to have available to you is a contemporaneous dictionary, mm-hmm. one that existed in 1789, which would define uh, the words that are neither in a strict sense nor in a loose sense, but in accordance with their actual meaning at that time. So do textualists ever divert from the text? Yes. Uh, If the original meaning of the text is uh, unambiguous, then the textualists will adopt that meaning, unless it it would lead to absurd consequences. For example, the First Amendment says, no law abridging speech. Well, we know we have some laws abridging speech. It says the right to bear arms shall not be infringed. Well, we don't allow people to have nuclear weapons, you know. Um, Additionally, if the meaning is unclear, then the textualists will go beyond the text, and they will consult structure and purpose and history of the Constitution. The structure relates 
to the internal relationships among the various provisions in the Constitution and to the overall design and framework of government uh, that we've established. The purpose is discerned from the intent of the drafters and ratifiers. That's the only time we look at intent. And the history involves the law or the practices that uh, preceded the enactment or shortly uh, succeeded the enactment just afterwards. So does textualism effectively freeze the Constitution in time to 1789 when it was ratified? No. uh, Textualism does not mean that the Constitution is frozen in time. Uh, No textualist that I know of believes that, for example, the First Amendment's free speech protections uh, don't extend to the Internet, even though the framers could never have conceived uh, of an Internet. So it's it's certainly okay, according to uh, textualists, to examine the trajectory of the words and apply those words to changing circumstances. But what's not okay, what's not permissible, is, is to treat the words as if they mean something different than they clearly meant at the time of the uh, of the ratification. Well, that certainly makes sense. That kind of leads us to the discussion about the liberal view of a living Constitution. Can you comment? Yeah, liberals want the Constitution to be interpreted in light of uh, new circumstances, <coughs> sort of a malleable uh, document that you can adapt to uh, current societal demands, um, which sounds quite reasonable. Justice Breyer was a foremost proponent of this, and he described the living Constitution as one designed to provide a framework for government across the centuries, a framework flexible enough to meet modern needs. The constitutional system, according to Breyer, requires enough flexibility to adapt substantive laws and institutions to rapidly changing social, economic, and technological conditions. The the response from the textualists is that this is not a bad idea at all, but the framers provided an amendment process for structural flexibility. So if the Constitution needs to be updated, it should be done by amending it, not by pretending that the written document doesn't exist or doesn't mean uh, what it says. And textualists argue further that, you know, what's the purpose of having a written document if the act is so it's it's just a piece of paper? Well, I would agree with that. So uh, where did uh, President Barack Obama stand in all this? Well, he told us that the court should stand up for social and economic justice. And he, he wanted just, justices who have the, his quote was, an empathy to recognize what it's like to be a young teenage mom or to be gay or poor or black. So uh, most of the liberals agree with that, although they use other labels, such as the living Constitution, as as synonyms for this empathy and uh, and social uh, consciousness. The conservative uh, reply is that empathy is obviously a desirable characteristic, but it's it's not a basis for determining what the Constitution uh, means. In fact, one reason for the broken judicial confirmation process is the court's gradual shift from reliance on the text to reliance on a living constitution. So when the text is trumped by the evolving uh, societal needs, 
as Obama put it, then the, then the judicial function becomes just politics uh, by another name. So no wonder that Congress and the various activist groups are so concerned about a nominee's views on key public policy issues, because those views could ultimately uh, become law, even if you have explicit constitutional provisions that say otherwise. So, you know, that's the kind of thing that happens when a so-called malleable constitution allows judges to act as if they were legislators. That is so interesting, Bob. So uh, did Obama or Biden have much of an impact on federal judges and justices? Obama didn't have much impact on the mix of the Supreme Court. Uh, We had liberal justice Sotomayor appointed, but she replaced another liberal, uh, David Souter. And we had liberal Elena Kagan, who replaced liberal John Paul Stevens. Uh, And the same is true of Biden when liberal uh, Ketanji Jackson replaced uh, liberal Stephen Breyer. Uh, But if you look back, Obama had a really significant impact on the composition of the trial courts and the appellate courts. Mm -hmm. Uh, Before Obama, 10 of 13 appellate courts had uh, Republican-appointed majorities. And after Obama, 9 of 13 had Democratic-appointed majorities. Mm. So Obama appointed 55 appellate judges in eight years. That's about one-third of the total. And those courts are really important. They decide about 3,000 cases each year only 70 of which typically make it up to the Supreme Courts. So the appellate appointments are critically important. Such a fascinating discussion. Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, I'd like to continue the conversation next week. In the meantime, just really appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you, Bob, and happy Thanksgiving. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz, that and more. Right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239 239- 
325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. You can find out more and get tickets to some great performances coming up. You can visit the website, gulfshoreplayhouse.org, gulfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josepha Savaz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Good morning, Bob. So much going on right now, Andy. Usually we start off with some good news in our interviews. Any good news for us? I, I've got some good news stories. They're all good news stories that have a twist that make them not, not good news stories. Let me just uh, mention something that I, I know is on your mind and it should be on everybody's mind. The 60th anniversary of the assassination of JFK. Now, beyond the death of a president, beyond the death of a man, we're looking at what I regard as a seminal moment, a defining moment in right. the rest of American history. Uh, I think we, we can uh, probably plot the course of any, uh, any, any uh, problems we're seeing right now as being a derivative of that moment. So uh, to me, it's a critical moment. I think it should be seen in that way. Uh, it's not normally explored. I know RFK Jr. right now is, is demanding, for one thing, that the JFK files, all of them, be released, which is, uh, to me, amazing that they haven't been. Many have, but the, what seems to be the critical ones that would probably probably implicate institutional America. I have to presume that, the CIA, for example. Right. Uh, but, you know, we, we don't know that, but uh, there, these files should be released uh, so we can see actually what uh, what might have been the involvement of our government in that event, Bob. Well, you know, uh, in the absence of good information, we tend to make things up. So you, there's a lot of speculation about the, the Warren report, about the uh, the actual circumstances surrounding uh, his death, death uh, about uh, the, the assassination uh, attempt, whether uh, multiple people involved, uh, quite frankly. I believe there are, but I don't have any proof of that. The thing is that uh, you're right, though. It was uh, labeled his presidency was labeled Camelot, and I think it, it just uh, I think exemplifies the innocence of the times and how things have changed so much. I mean, there's no doubt. If we, if we want to look at, is there a defining circumstance where we can uh, see the implication of institutional America? I think the uh, appointing of Alan Dulles to the Warren Commission. Now, Alan Dulles was no longer head of the CIA at that point. There was no, no reason to go with Alan Dulles. He had a tainted career prior to that. Yeah. Uh, to put him on that committee seemed to be a, a control factor for the CIA right. on the, in the Warren Commission. So, I mean, obviously I can't prove that, but the very existence of Alan Dulles, I think, is a, is a indicator of, of, of some other circumstance that we have to try to find out about. Absolutely. So, uh, moving on, any good news? Well, the, it was a good news story. The New York <laughs> Times indicated that the, well, this is the good news story, that the, uh, the, the, the masking was the worst thing that ever happened to uh, American school children. Now, the Times, during the COVID epidemic, had touted the, the need to close down the schools, to mask children when the schools weren't closed. But now they're saying that that was all unnecessary. It was act actually extremely damaging uh, to the performance of these students at, at this point, and also the uh, the uh, the uh, implication in terms of their uh, 
tendency towards suicide and feelings, as they say, of sadness and hopelessness. Now, that's a good news story in the reversal of the New York Times. I, I do think it's also a... Uh, in my estimation, uh, an attempt to, to cover up the inherent deficiencies of the school system. In other words, when you have a school system, especially in New York, that's failing, when you look at students that are being uh, psychologically, emotionally impacted by what I believe is the culture around them, not just the COVID uh, circumstance, I, I think to cite COVID right now and the, the close down as being the exclusive cause uh, is, is covering up uh, bigger and, and more significant problems, Bob. I would agree with that, Andy. I think it also uh, covers up the uh, voodoo public health care system that we have in place right now that, uh, quite frankly, in my opinion, has been weaponized for social and political purposes as opposed to protecting our good health. Yeah, well, I mean, that, that's something that has to be, I think, identified. Trump has been criticized for his uh, actions at the starting point of the COVID epidemic. Uh, on the other hand, what else was, was he to do but to use the highest medical sources within our government? Certainly right. uh, at that moment, uh, that is all he could do. Uh, and certainly that, uh, that turned to be uh, a faulty uh, way to go with, uh, with, uh, with uh, Fauci. Fauci you know, but we, we know that uh, the difficulty at that point was the, uh, the input of the highest members of our medical community. And from that point forward, I think that community has lost respect, and that's unfortunate. Uh, because right now, certainly there is a, a, a large need for the, for the validity and the, and the trust in that community. And yet I think, uh, to the large extent, Bob, uh, as you were alluding to, that's been, that's been shattered. Absolutely. And uh, uh, it's, it's going to take a long time to repair the damage that's been done. In the meantime, uh, uh, I, I hope that we'll all be skeptical of any such attempts in the future to mask up, to have lockdowns, to do these types of arcane and stu stupid things in the face of uh, the unknown medical situation. Well, I, I think that's, <laughs> as I would call it, an undue optimism. I, I can see that if there was a, uh, an outbreak of COVID-27, for example, uh, I think there's a good chance we might head in the same direction. So I, I'd like to think that you're right about this, as always. Uh, but I'm, not, I'm never quite confident that particularly this, this administration uh, would allow that to not happen, let, right. let's call it, Bob. Well, Another good news story, uh, hostages, a hostage uh, deal has been reached, uh, reached in, in Israel, 50 hostages over a timed basis uh, with a suspension of hostilities uh, coming up in, in, uh, in conjunction with that. Uh, now, that is a good news story, certainly, that, that 50 people will apparently be, uh, be set free. Uh, but in terms of the reversal of that, uh, I don't believe Hamas, Hamas would enter into any situation that did not serve their purpose. So I think that this, this deal uh, is one that uh, does serve Hamas' purpose. Uh, perhaps they are, they're out of fuel for their rockets. Perhaps there's, uh, there's a need to bring in through some, uh, some uh, method. Uh, additional weaponry, yeah. but I think this this uh, cessation of hostilities for a period of time will aid Hamas, and I think it's a, a dangerous precedent, as always, uh, to incentivize the taking of hostages. So I think we're, we're seeing that now, and I think uh, Netanyahu was caught in a very untenable situation. Right. Uh, thousands, if not millions of Israelis were demanding that action be taken about those hostages. And, and yet he knows that every shutdown of the, uh, the military uh, action against Hamas will probably cost lives of, of, of IDF members and probably in the future uh, will result in more civilian deaths. Uh, so I think this is a, uh, a dangerous precedent. Uh, it's, it's one that Hamas 
that uh, Hamas welcomes. Uh, I think as I watched Biden the other day talk about this, he cloaked all of the negotiation in terms of we, we being the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I certainly uh, knew before that point that the United States would have been influencing it. Uh, Biden positioned it as almost a, uh, a U.S.-based uh, decision in terms of this process. Yeah. So let, let's see how it unfolds. Uh, I think this uh, is giving Hamas a a long time frame in which they can uh, incrementally release hostages while gaining significant advantages as a result of. I think that's absolutely right. Andy, we need to take a little break and just stick around. I'll be here. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. Do you have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratospell Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. And I remind you that our favorite breakfast place and lunch place, uh, Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center, is now serving dinner Wednesdays through Saturdays, 4 to 8 p.m. And the menu's terrific. It's great value. And I hope you'll drop by Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center. And by the way, obviously closed on Thursday on Thanksgiving, but nevertheless, a great opportunity for Great value at Lulabee's Diner. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here, Bob. And we had talked about the Happy Thanksgiving off off air, but for your audience, a Happy Thanksgiving to all, Bob. And to you as well, Andy. Thank you so much. So uh, when we stopped in, in the last break, we were talking about good news. Do you have more good news for us? Again, another good news story with a reversal to it. Uh, the Colorado judge has indicated that Trump, uh, President 
President uh, Trump can stay on the ballot uh, in 2024 if he is the nominee. Uh, I think that's a good news story in itself. Uh, her tortured reasoning uh, to, to reach that point was, I think, a, a future problem. Uh, the plaintiffs who were demanding Trump be removed on the basis of the 14th Amendment, the judge agreed with every point they made, including the fact that uh, Trump was significantly responsible for the violence on that day and right. all of the associated events. So she agreed with all of that, but she, as she read the 14th Amendment, the president and the vice president, uh, who are active in their roles at that point, uh, are not eligible to be affected by the 14th Amendment. So she created a circumstance for appellate process and for future rulings where her ruling indicated, yes, Trump was responsible for the events of, uh, of, of, uh, of January 6th, but in fact was not covered under the 14th Amendment. Bob. Yeah, that was my thought, too. This is only going to lead to future litigation. I think I absolutely. She, I think she, just, she basically uh, kicked the can down the road. Well, I think she did more than that. I mean, I, I think she just wasn't removing herself from the, from the need to make a decision of that type. Right. I think she was uh, knowingly creating a potential, as you're indicating it, to, uh, to, for future appellate actions and for future actions uh, taken citing citing the precedent of the judge's ruling as the basis for those for those future situations, Bob. In the meantime, uh, Speaker Johnson has released the uh, January 6th tapes, and apparently there's a lot of revelations that are going, showing up every day now, including uh, undercover officers who were acting as uh, Antifa and so forth. I mean, I think a lot's going to come out on this. I, I hope you're right. I really do. I'm not being pessimistic at, about this at all. I, uh, I, I don't want to be. I, I hope that the truth comes out. I think it could be a, a turning point if the total truth is revealed about that date. Uh, we'll see how it unfolds, Bob. I'm, uh, I'm hopeful. Right. I was going to say optimistic, which was a scary word for me. Uh, but I'm hopeful that this will happen. So. Absolutely. Uh, one, one other good news story with the reversal, of course. The, the Army uh, wants to take back those that were previously discharged on the basis of refusal to take their COVID injections. Now, this was thousands, thousands of, uh, of, uh, of GIs uh, that were released. Uh, now they want them back. Of course, they want them back without any apology. They want them back without any, any back pay. Uh, I think it also certainly highlights uh, the, the dramatic problem the military is having with their recruiting efforts. Uh, I think more and more uh, people who would normally be the, the, uh, the likely uh, candidates to come in as new recruits in the military are not going there, not, certainly not in the numbers uh, of the past. This is a problem, and I think it can be... Uh, completely exemplified by the Army's uh, reversal and taking back in those those COVID rejectors, Bob. Yeah, well, the U.S. Air Force has sent a letter telling the airmen are booted from the service for refusing the COVID-19 vaccine. They could seek a correction to service records and re-enter the, the uh, Air Force. So now they're making offers to bring these people back and uh, with back pay and so forth. But in the meantime, there is a huge multi-billion dollar class action lawsuit that's forming uh, representing these people who've uh, had no representation, there's no legal process uh, followed, quite frankly, it just pleases me to know and that, that they were treated so badly that somehow justice will be done. I mean, I'm, again, once again, I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, 
uh, optimistic is, is, again, once again, not the right word, but hopeful is certainly the word I'd like to choose here. Uh, I, I guess that's the same as optimism in, in many ways. Uh, but let, let's see how these events unfold. I think it, it's to a large, to a large extent going to be determined by uh, how the 2024 elections unfold. Let, let me just mention something before I get to the larger issue, the, uh, the election of uh, Javier Milay in, uh, in Argentina. Yeah. Uh, and I'm just going to note this in conjunction with where we are in this discussion. Uh, Argentina had all of the votes, 30 million votes, counted by midnight on the day of the election right. using paper ballots. Now, here is a, a country that uh, certainly most Americans would not see as one of the most advanced countries, per se, by many measurements. And yet, uh, Argentina effectively had their election results in by midnight of the day of the votes. Now, to me, that highlights the strongest potential of documenting American fraud, because I believe the only reason that there would be this significant delay, every delay, I believe, is a source of fraud and created to be an ability to use fraud in the election process. I think we can even cite the elections in France of last year, where by midnight of the day of the election in France, right. they had their elections uh, finalized. So uh, why can't America do that? Because the left does not want to do that, Bob, because delay is equivalent to the same thing as fraud, Bob. And yet, uh, I, I think it's in Georgia, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I, uh, a judge has decided to take up a case about Dominion uh, voting machines. And he's, uh, the judge is saying, she says, I believe it's a she, says that uh, while we can't affect the decision in Georgia about using those machines, we can ferret out important information about the reliability of these machines in this uh, case. So this is the first time that Dominion is going to actually have to stand trial regarding the truthfulness and the effectiveness of their machines. Well, I, I think we've got to get electronics out of the system. I think those are the key factors in France and in, uh, in, and in the elections in Argentina. Uh, there are ways to, to handle these things that, that seem perhaps old-fashioned, but old-fashioned doesn't mean it's wrong. Right. Uh, and yet uh, the, the, the inclusion of a, uh, of, a, of a computer counting model, uh, I think, automatically lends itself to fraud. That is generally... Uh, not detectable by any ordinary means, Bob. Absolutely. Andy, we need to just take one more break and you stick around? No place better to be, Bob. Okay, we got to have, have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you have questions about your retirement, Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice of the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, helping to prepare elected officials for their new terms going into uh, the legislature. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. We continue the conversation with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Thank you so much, Andy. So uh, you alluded to the election in Argentina. I wonder if you want to expand your thoughts on that. Yeah, let me get to that. I have a few <clears> other <throat> thoughts I wanted to mention before that, but I think the time is running short. Uh, Javier Milay's uh, election was as part of what seems to be a global trend towards uh, more uh, of the, the leadership on the right. So uh, I think that's a, a pattern that the, the left is lamenting and, and is excoriating. They're describing these movements to the right as being the rage and the uncontrollable anger of the voter. And those things may be true. Uh, but again, these, these do not make them wrong about their positions. Right. Uh, in uh, Milay's case, he was a, he's a libertarian by definition. Uh, his, his major uh, plank in his platform, I would suggest, is the uh, the dollarization of, of the um, uh, Argentinian economy moving away from the peso. Uh, I think there's, he cited several examples of that exact same thing leading to a greater economic prosperity in Panama, El Salvador, Ecuador, for example. Uh, and so his, his movement towards the dollar is uh, the way he's going to try, and it, it's a well-documented potential from economists uh, to try to move away from the uh, runaway inflation that Argentina is experiencing and the fact that about 40% of Argentinians uh, are living in, in a state of poverty. Uh, so I think we're looking at a, uh, a man, he's, he certainly is earthy. Uh, as he ran his campaign, he called those on the left uh, parasites, among other things that I can't even mention on this show. Uh, so yeah, this is an earthy uh, candidate, a man of the people, let's call him. They've described him as the Trump of Argentina. Uh, of course, they many say that as an insult. I would say that is the greatest compliment. Uh, so let's see how, how Argent, Argentina unfolds. The unfortunate thing with a man like Milai coming in is that the left, rather than just sitting back and, and, and watching what happens, will in fact actively contribute to trying to try to damage uh, the policies put in place in place in place by Milai. So uh, let's see how Argentina goes uh, for your audience. Uh, Post-World War II, uh, most are not aware that Argentina 
had the second largest economy in the world, only second to the United States. Uh, so uh, he defeated, Malay defeated a, a Peronist, uh, so a man that was had certainly dictatorial uh, characteristics. Uh, so this is a man coming in that uh, is opening up the Argentinian system, and let's, let's hope that it produces the result for Argentina that I would anticipate based on uh, the positions that Milay has been taking, Bob. Yeah, and of course, uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I suspect that the deep state, which is so deep in Argentina, just about as deep, maybe deeper than it is here in the United States, there will be some resistance to whatever he's trying to implement. And of course, uh, having calling him a Nazi uh, extremist, and you go right down the list of the things, that, the names that are used here in the United States, I'm sure he will not be immune to that kind of treatment. I mean, there'll be no doubt that the left in Argentina will be doing everything, as you're suggesting, to uh, to damage his uh, his policies. So again, um, whether Milai has the extended support in the in the uh, bureaucracy of Argentina, that waits to be seen. Uh, on the surface, immediately, certainly, this is a good news story. He won the election uh, dramatically. I, I believe the numbers are about 55 to 45 against his his opponent. Uh, so this is a strong show out a show up uh, in the voting. Uh, booths and a, and a strong result for Milai that indicates something of great significance, at least in Argentina. I don't know if you want to uh, discuss this at all, but uh, Elon Musk is now suing uh, many media outlets uh, for uh, slander, and uh, quite frankly, I think he's well well uh, positioned in this in this lawsuit. I want to get, wonder if you have any thoughts about uh, X. Well, he's being widely uh, accused of being an anti-Semite. Let, let me try to extract from all of that what I think is going on uh, as the the, the, the centerpiece of, of all of the anti-Musk actions. Uh, much of these are coming from the Anti-Defamation League, the ADL. Uh, Musk had suggested that the, uh, the ADL and many of the Jewish uh, political activities are dedicated to condemning Western nations and Western civilization in its entirety. Uh, so uh, Musk is saying this is not correct, that the nations are not responsible for the anti-Semitism. Uh, it is not Western nations and Western civilization. It is the almost exclusively the actions of minority groups within those civilizations that are causing that problem. Uh, Musk suggests that ADL does not go in that direction because it itself sees itself as one of these minority groups. So I think what we're looking at is Musk's attempt to accurately define uh, the source of much of the anti-Semitism as coming from the minority groups in the different Western nations, whereas the ADL uh, wants a more sweeping condemnation of the entirety of Western nations and Western civilization. Musk is not willing to play that game. And Musk, uh, being as honest a man as we can cite in the public arena, uh, I think is fighting a battle to not only for his own reputation, uh, but to, to ensure some degree of integrity as these discussions take place, Bob. Well, to me, though, it just gives me great joy to, to know that he's suing these uh, media outlets, uh, and uh, I think he has a great chance of winning. I mean, they, they've manipulated the news to try and align his comments and his advertisers with uh, anti-Semitism. And uh, w when you review the situation, he, they've they've manipulated the uh, news outlet X, so to speak, to uh, in order to make to accomplish that. 
in, in a neutral review of the alignment of the uh, advertisers with Nazi websites, for example, or, yeah. or Nazi sites, uh, there was no documentation of that position whatsoever by a neutral, uh, a neutral monitor of that process. So, uh, as once again, we're seeing uh, to the largest extent uh, positions that are being uh, made up. Uh, lies that are used to distort a, a popular figure in America. Uh, and I, I think Musk, uh, fortunately, has enough money to stand behind him so that he can take the risk associated with what is going on and will continue to go on in attacking him. So uh, I hope he succeeds, and I hope he stays strong in the process. Absolutely. It reminds me of the quotation from Mark Twain. He said, uh, once defined patriotism as supporting your country at all times, and your government when it deserves it. I think that captures the essence of what's going on right now. Or, or Samuel Johnson's quote a little stronger, patriotism is the last refuge of the scoundrel. <laughs> and he also said, what gets us into trouble is not what we don't know, it's what we know for sure that just ain't so. Oh, that is that is quite correct. <laughs> nothing nothing uh, disturbed me more than a student raising their hand vociferously to uh, <clears throat> challenge a point that I made and say something that was totally wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. Andrew Joppa, again, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, before I let you go, any closing thoughts? Um, just that I'm uh, going to initiate a lawsuit because my AOL uh, site, my, my AOL uh, email, my whole account was canceled. Uh, I think as a, a censure of me, and I've, I've talked to another friend, went through the same process in the last week. So I'm uh, s structuring a law case to be brought liability action against AOL, uh, just to because I think someone has to take action against big tech when they damage a life, as they damage mine to a large extent, and my friend's life. That is so interesting. So uh, you're convinced, it sounds like, that AOL is the one that canceled the account. It wasn't uh, hijacked or something like that. No, well, there's no way that uh, AOL's internal records uh, could have been hijacked. So uh, what happened when I contacted AOL is they do not have any record of my account. I do not exist. My account has been deleted. Uh, now, there's a lot of uh, online uh, chatter about uh, AOL moving to uh, censure spam, as they call it. Spam is in the mind of the beholder. So, yeah, I wasn't totally convinced until I talked to a good friend, also a writer, and uh, a strong writer, as I am, uh, and essentially going through exactly that exp same experience on exactly the same day. So this, this fellow and myself were, were knocked out completely at that moment by AOL. Uh, so, yes, I am going to be trying to initiate. If I can get a, a liability law firm to take the case, I am going to go in that direction. Outstanding. Yeah, and Andrew Joppa, professor and author, author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, always appreciate your most informed and interesting cons, uh, commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. And again, happy Thanksgiving to you and your listeners. As, as well to you and your family, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I'm going to do a shoot tomorrow, a special edition of the Bob Harden Show tomorrow. I hope you'll tune in. Uh, in the meantime, if uh, I really appreciate your uh, listening to the show. And if you uh, just pass the word on to your friends and neighbors if, that uh, you enjoy it, I'm sure they'll want to tune in as well. And that's one of the ways we support our advertisers, and we can't do the show without them. Happy Thanksgiving to you, and I hope you'll uh, make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>